This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Kavnis Experience. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. Our guest today is Leon Richardson. Leon, are you ready to be great today? Yes. Mr. Leon Richardson is the director of the Adult Services Division within King County's Department of Community and Human Services. He assumed his duties on July 26, 2021, after most recently serving as the Division Deputy Director and as the Director overseeing operations for the county-run vaccination sites. He's a native of Washington State and a graduate of the Washington State University and the New Mexico Military Institute. He is still actively serving the United States Army Reserve and his career today has been filled with public service at the Port City and County levels. Leon, thanks for being here today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So first question, Leon, U.S. Reserve officer, right? Yes. So I mean, that's even though they say it's a weekend and two twice a year, I know that's pretty much a full-time job. <laughs> so how you handle like you know full-time job for the reserve and a full-time job? You know, it's a very full-time job. Great question. Uh, it's definitely a balance. Um, I put in more than your traditional 40 hours uh, work week as I balance not only doing my day job for the county, but often when I get home at nights, logging on and doing military stuff as well. So how long have you been in the military? This August will be 19 years. Okay. And in the reserves, like I was actually doing officer, I was AG. In the reserves, you like you do different things, right? You go from different jobs, right? It's not, so you're not like this, the AG officer, NP officer, like whatever the job is, you definitely do, right? It's very similar to active duty. So you definitely have your, your job. So like my most recent assignment was as a military police battalion commander. And then um, I think also the unique thing that the reserves offers is the ability to do jobs that aren't aligned to a branch or your your job. And so currently I'm serving as the assistant chief of staff G1 personnel officer for a command. And nowhere in my experience do I have being a personnel officer, but that's something I've you know been able to pick up on. Yeah, I was an MP Brigade SO for like four years at Fort Lewis, 42nd MP Brigade. Yep. Yeah, and I saw like a, a uh, Christopher Burns did a like on your comments. I don't I know Christopher Burns. Okay. I've yeah. known him for a while, yeah. So you don't do the 20 and get out or how that work for you? Serving has always been a passion of mine. So I, I figured I'll probably stay around as long as the military will have me until they, you know, uh, kick me out or say that it's time for me to move on to greener pastures. But uh, I, I see myself sticking around in the military for some time. So next question, kind of off the off, random. With all the stuff you have going on, what do you do for fun? For fun, I like to spend time with the family. Uh, where possible, go to the gym, uh, play basketball with friends. Although I am finding out that my body is not as young as my mind would like to think it is. So. Isn't that funny how that works? <laughs> right. Your mind says you're 21, 22. Yeah, in my mind, I'm like, I used to be able to do this. And now my body will tell me like, no, you can't. So. So talk real fast about the New Mexico Military Institute. I know, I know what that is. I don't think most people know what that is. Yeah, uh, the New Mexico Military Institute is a military junior college. It offers a commissioning program, and there's a few of them across the country, but this one in particular, uh, it's 
if you think West Point and like putting on a uniform and uh, going through those motions, very similar. Everybody at the school wears a uniform. There's a cadet rank structure that's in place. And I uh, went there and uh, that's where I received my commission as a first uh, military intelligence officer. How'd you manage It was a shot going from Washington State to the desert of New Mexico. Well, actually, I did it the other way around. I went to New Mexico and then uh, um, had the fortunate opportunity to go okay. to Washington State afterwards. Okay, nice, nice. What's been some interesting places you traveled in the military? Oh, uh, I'm a product of the military, so I think uh, I've had the privilege of traveling all over not only the United States, but the world. I've been to Korea, I've been to Europe, uh, all over Europe, I've uh, been to Africa, uh, all over Eastern Africa. And so in that respect, uh, I would say my time in Africa was probably the most humbling experience of my life and um, culminated in me being where I'm at today. I've never been to Africa. I've been to Korea, Germany, Italy, yep. of course, Afghanistan, those kind of places, Kuwait. Love Germany. Mm -hmm. Uh, where were you at in Germany? So the first time, I was there twice. First time I was single, I was in Gibblestop by Würzburg. Second time I was married with some kids, I was in Würzburg, oh, not Würzburg, Wiesbaden. So. Okay. I was in Lonstuhl when, okay. I, when, I, when I went up there, so. Yeah, yeah. think about Germany, like, you know, just to wake up one day, let's go to Amsterdam, let's go to Paris, let's go wherever, you know. I think the uniqueness about being in Europe is like, everything is a train right away. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right, yeah. So it's funny, so, so, so Jeremy, my wife, my oldest daughter like Jeremy the best. I like Italy the best, and my other two kids like Korea the best. So I did some things, yeah. Yeah, I never went to Africa, but I have no. I don't know how people went there. They said that's different, like you said, a humble experience, like this. Um, this you know the poverty, there's a richness, like it's like almost like the poverty. Then other cities, like you got like, people really rich, you know, so there's like a whole dynamic of stuff going on over there. Yeah, when when I left Africa, it definitely gave me an appreciation for what I have, and. Uh, a new sense of purpose around like trying to help people. And that's one fact that the military realized like people in the United States they say like we're poor, we're not well off. I mean, true, you know, maybe not well off somebody else, but there's different levels of poor, right? Cause like people we see overseas, like they're like really like destitute, right? Like they don't know where the next meal's coming from, they have a bed, sleep on those shoes, like really bad. I mean, in the states of people like that, of course, but you know, that it's the same level sometimes. Well, yeah, and I think also in there is like the comment, like my, when I was in Africa, I was working with civil affairs, so government relations, humanitarian aid type stuff. And when I tell people that, they're like, what? I didn't know the military did that. And so like just there's different components and being able to be a part of a mission that was focused on getting out there and helping people uh, in a humanitarian aid way was humbling and refreshing. But like how I many people probably don't realize that we're living in Africa or the other countries, right? They just think we're like in Germany or Korea, right? Like we're pretty much like in every country in the world almost, you know? I think when um, our, the area in which my unit was responsible for was like larger than the United States when we were in Africa. And so like you look at it on a map and you, you, you think, oh, well, you know, it's comparable, but like um, it's, you know, night and day different. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in your, in your, I think in your bio it said that um, you focus on removing barriers. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I think uh, throughout my life in uh, various spaces, I've seen a lot of instances of where everybody knows what the right answer is, but then there's always something that 
is there preventing somebody from doing the right thing in that respect. I pride myself on, you know, identifying those things with partners and beginning to remove those barriers in, in order to uh, help people. And so I look at that, you know, I apply that now in my job with the county, I apply that in the military. Um, that's why in the military, I, I became an officer because first enlisted and somebody told me if I wanted to affect any real change, I needed to become an officer in the military. Don't know that that's necessarily true. So for me, like removing barriers is those perceived problems or real problems that prevent us from being able to do things that are responsive to the needs of staff, community, whomever. Those are the, the things that I uh, find passion in. So these barriers, are they, for lack of a better term, set up on the O-Board network? You know, things have always been this way. We don't need to change them. Things are good enough. Yes, there's some of that. And I think there's uh, some, you know, system related things, policies uh, that have been on the books forever or regulations, laws that have been on the books forever. And, you know, it takes somebody asking a question and uh, a group of people to go in and reevaluate it to do something different. Or um, I think the space that we live in is uh, a lot of things are up into, are open to interpretation. And so, uh, in large organizations, you can sometimes have people interpreting the same thing many different ways and being able to surface those things and have those collaborative conversations, I've found assist with the removing of barriers. So I think it's all encompassing um, in regards to your question. So how many years were you enlisted? I was enlisted for three to four years okay, before yeah. I, before I switched over? Yeah, I was listening eight years before I switched over to OCS. So from my point of view, like of course I've been all awesome year, I had more, more power, more responsibility, more authority. But I tell people I had so much fun to listen, right? Just the commander was better. And plus when I was a lieutenant platoon leader coming to command, it was great fun, you know, you had soldiers. But once I became a senior captain major, like all that fun went away, right? So it's just staff work and, you know, bureaucracy, you know, did you have the same experience? Those are different for you. Um. <laughs> It's definitely a balance. Uh, as you advance in ranks in the military on the officer side, the job definitely changes. I found, I would say the most enjoyment as like a company commander or a battalion commander. And then when I look at my enlisted counterparts, I think, you know, I couldn't do it without them. Like in a few weeks, I'm gonna travel down to California to, one of my command sergeant majors that was with me when I was a battalion commander is retiring. And so I'm gonna fly down for that. I think there's, it depends on, it all depends on what fun is for you. Like um, if you ask my, some of my warrant officers, they'll tell you they have the best job in the world because they got the rank, but no responsibility. Yeah, I, I think, think every warrant officer tells you that. They yeah. definitely have the best world. And let's talk about that real fast. Cause like, I don't think a lot of civilians get that right. Cause like, Pose like this song, pose this song, major warfare civilian job. I mean, maybe you fly California, maybe you wouldn't write, but the military is like, there's a different connection, right? Yeah, the military for me has been, it's a family, it's, it's a bond. Like I have brothers and sisters in the military that, you know, we've gone through uh, hell and back. And, you know, it's just, there's a certain connection that is built there that I don't think you get really um, anywhere else, or at least not from from my experience, because 
going through adversity together galvanizes you and, and I think it just has a unique way to bring people together. Definitely. Here's a question for you, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. From your point of view, what's more bureaucratic, U.S. military or King County government? I don't think either are bureaucratic. A little bit of, I guess, my political answer in that is like, I think both systems have very complex systems that you need to first understand in order to be able to navigate. I think the the thing that I realized um, being in leadership positions within both the organizations is that the people that are serving in the various positions genuinely care. They genuinely want to help. They genuinely want to be proactive. And it's how do we share information to make sure that we're making informed decisions, I think is, is key. And so bureaucratic, you know, I struggle with saying that word more for me, it's just understanding the, the process and understanding the rationale, the reasoning behind the process. So Leon, I know you take, you take a lot of product like collaborating. You have to collaborate differently with the military and civilian government. Oh, like it's the same process. Oh, it's definitely different. Fundamentally, the, the biggest difference is in the military, it's very much a positional authority driven type organization, a rank driven type organization where you're in a position, you hold a certain level of rank, you, you make decisions. And I think there's a, a multitude of ways that, that that happens depending on the type of leader. But uh, there's no question of like, the person says do this and they have whatever rank, whatever position, that's what you have to do. All things considered, you know, uh, it's not illegal, immoral, et cetera. Within the county, I think it's a bit of this, uh, a same in the sense, but it's much more flat. Um, it's much more collaborative uh, wherever possible. I mean, um, as a as a director, I hold positional authority and re ultimate responsibility for some of the decisions coming out of my division. But I think you know we try to cultivate a flatter type organization where we can be collaborative and l allow for more input uh, into said decision making process versus. Uh, what you traditionally see in a, in a military organization. So I'm, I'm not really damn wrong, but I think it, it said somewhere in your bio, you look at profile that you have to deal with 234 agencies. Does that sound right or is that too high? No, it's for, uh, for King County, I'm assuming that's what you're yeah. referencing. Uh, we have over 300 contracted partners uh, throughout our organization and in my uh, division, I'm privileged to have a, a, an amazing team of uh, managers, leaders that uh, handle a lot of that day-to-day -day type engagement with our partner. Like I said, how do you even like handle that idea? That's a lot, right? Because I'm sure that some of them probably more need others, some are probably need more stuff, and some maybe just do their own thing and come to you, whatever. Like, how do you like manage all that? Like, that's where I would say just, you know, having a strong team, a strong group of people behind you that, that help focus me uh, where I need to be paying the most attention. And then, you know, you gotta, you gotta trust the team. Nothing more uh, gives me passion than uh, being able to get out of the office and see and meet our partners in person and, and, and see the work that they're doing in community. 
a lot of those partners are from our uh, the Veteran Seniors and Human Services Levy, uh, which you know is providing valuable resources to the community. And so, like being able to get out and see how the like th that property tax, that voter approved levy is helping people. That is, you know, that that's what excites me. Here's one for you. How do people come to you with like challenges and problems? There's not really your like your challenge like it belongs in, to another department or another another city or whatever. You have to redirect them to where it actually needs to go to. Well, I think we get problems presented to us on a daily, if not weekly, basis. To me, I, I probably encounter the thing that bubbles up to me more on a weekly basis than a daily basis. And I think what we try to do is not just say, oh, not us, go there. Uh, more uh, more so to uh, do a warm handoff to somebody, whether that's a partner organization or whether that's a local municipal, uh, because a lot of these uh, complex problems that are presented to us have to do with, you know, organizations that are in um, dire need of something or people that are experiencing, you know, adversity or um, extreme conflict in assisting them in the moment. I have to imagine once a problem gets to you, it's a pretty big problem, right? Because I'm sure your, your, your people are handling like low level problems, do what they can to solve it. Right? So I have to imagine once it gets to you, it's, like, it's a pretty big, big problem, right? A big challenge. Yes and no. I mean, uh, there's the, definitely the big ones that make it to me, but also I think there's the complex ones that it's a, I don't want to say little uh, because w we are sometimes faced with complex problems that are impacting individuals and we have to find innovative solutions to be responsive to those, those needs. And I, I would say in a lot of instances, it's us, the person reaching out to us because they don't know where else to go. And uh, it, because I'm the division director, I'm the one that's easy to like Google or find. And so I'll get the phone call directly um, from a person or organization. And then it's connecting them to, you know, a subject matter expert on my team that can partner with them to get them what they need. Or uh, if it's an instance of where I know who the uh, partner agency is being able to do that direct connection. Who do you consider to be the customer of your division? Uh, the, the residents of King County and um, the organizations in which we partner with. Okay. And I would say more broadly, even beyond the organizations that we partner with, uh, the organizations that are providing uh, human services to the community. So there's the Seattle City Council, King County City Council, King City Council, all these city councils, what you're doing. How do those people like collaborate and get stuff done together, or is like how that even work? Because you know, of course, Seattle probably drives everything, but you know. So w we talk on a regular basis um, with the various municipal governments. We have government relations staff that are, um, that are on our teams uh, at a department um, level that, on a regular basis, show up in those different spaces. I myself try to go out and interact uh, with different elected leaders, different uh, governments, uh, local, whether it be local, federal, or, or state, to make sure that uh, we're collaborating and, and have that, uh, for lack of better words, that joint response 
uh, when we're when we're focusing on something. Room 40B, what's the number one challenge for King County for the rest of 2022? I think, you know, we're coming out of a pandemic and, you know, our lives have been forever changed as a result of it. And, and so it's as we're coming out of this pandemic, recognizing what the new norm is going to be, right? Yeah, I think we're forever more sensitive to if somebody coughs in a room and you see like everybody's edge trying to like, is everything okay? And um, that's just, you know, new a new world. People wearing masks. What does it look like to show up at an in-person meeting with a group of people now? Um, and so I think in addition to like our, our priorities around getting out, serving the community, making sure all of the things that uh, we do in our day to day um, before the pandemic and during the, even more so during the pandemic, but uh, recognizing what is that new norm and, and working people to get back to that in order to make sure that the services that we are providing within my division are responsive to the community's needs. So going to the group chat, what exactly is that your division does? My division is the Adult Services Division within the Department of Community and Human Services. We steward the Veteran Seniors and Human Services Levy, uh, which is a um, six-year uh, levy that's a voter-approved property tax to provide broad human services focusing on, obviously, veteran seniors and what falls underneath the human services bucket is what we call resilient communities, which um, is a multitude of programs underneath that, like civil legal aid programs that have to deal with gender based violence. And so uh, we steward a whole bunch of programs there to provide resources directly to the community free resources and, and in that respect. And then uh, my division does a number of other things, but all in the adult human uh, services realm where we're focusing on people that are 18 and older uh, and providing them human services to make sure that they're living healthy, thriving lives. And um, if they have needs, then we try to be responsive to those. How do y'all make sure these demographics know about your services? So like it's kind of marketing plan, social media, because the thing y'all do or we have obviously a website and uh, I think one of our areas of opportunity has been uh, to increase the knowledge of the resources that are provided through our division through our levy and so we uh, recently got a page on uh, social media for our Facebook or excuse me our veterans program our department is recently launched an Instagram page and so we do advertisements, we do something like marketing in that respect. Uh, we do a lot of community engagement and we're picking up on that as well. And so across that spectrum is where we try to focus. And I would say like, uh, like what I started with, that's been an opportunity area for me. So I'm really trying to focus on um, doing more outreach and engagement and yeah. marketing in that respect. So the work we do is more of a known commodity versus when I mentioned it to somebody like, oh, what is that? Tell me more. Yeah, I saw you like you've been doing YouTube videos, been like going to different meetings on LinkedIn, like putting stuff out there more, seems like, so that's good. So Leon, how do you measure the success of your organization? 
I think the success of our organization is measured uh, in part by the number of people we're able to help. There's a question I was asked the other day, like uh, somebody said, what keeps you up at night? And I was thinking about that. And uh, I think in this job, in this role, the thing that keeps me up at night in that respect is uh, somebody's out there in our community that needs help and it's help that we're offering and they don't know they don't know it exists they don't know how that to access it they don't know any of the things in that regard i think at its core our job is helping people uh within king county and and our success is by being able to provide that help to people so veterans is it like all, all veterans, homeless veterans, anybody who asks for help is it, or is it, is it veterans in general, specific demographic and general, in general for veterans? So uh, our um, group is for uh, veteran service members and their families. And so uh, one of the unique things about the, the levy is I think, you know, we take a focus on understanding where there's gaps in the system and, and trying to fill those gaps. So uh, we define a veteran as anybody that served one day in the military. Um, a service member, you can be serving currently in any of the service branches, um, or you can be the uh, uh, family member of a veteran and qualify for resources. And so we've been able to step in in a lot of different ways where I think there was just gaps in the system uh, and provide help. And whether that's, you know, providing help like with uh, rent or mortgage or uh, utility bills or, hey, I got this job, but I can't pay for the tools in order for me to start the job. Well, we'll you, know, you know, we'll assist with that. Or, you know, sometimes it's, you know, somebody needs counseling or uh, somebody to talk to in that respect. And maybe because of their discharge status or the amount of time they serve, they don't necessarily qualify for uh, VA resources. We, we have those resources that um, are available and we can help with that. So why do you think so many veterans struggle uh, with transition? Sorry. Why do you think so many military people struggle with transition? I, I'm not 30, I'll tell you mine after years. Yeah, um, I just try to think back of when I transitioned I think it's just different. Um, and I think there's a ton of programs out there to assist people now, but you know, some of the struggles I saw like years ago is like somebody coming off of active duty or serving in the reserves and they're trying to translate their military skills into civilian uh, lingo and, and make, explain what it is that they did in the military and, and tell that story. I was doing a community conversation a, a couple weeks ago with some veterans uh, and I asked the question, how do we how do we get the word out more? How do we like increase the knowledge? And they said when when service members are transitioning out of the local installations, you need to be there and you need to tell them about the programs you're offering. And I challenged them back and I'm like, yeah, but I remember when I was transitioning off, you have your checklist and you're just rushing through it like, ah, no, nah, I don't just, I need you to sign so I could go to the next station. And, and so I think one of the opportunities that we have is to engage early before a person goes to transition, to inform 
them more of the resources uh, that are available, uh, especially for us because you don't need to get out of the military to qualify for the things that uh, we uh, have here in King County. And so um, I think it's just finding the right opportunities to engage with service members that are, are transitioning so that the information you're providing stays in because I, and it could be different now um, to add the caveat, but what I recall it being is a mad dash to just get your checklist done so you could be done with the process. Yeah, I'm gonna say what challenges. I got in 2015, I retired, I was a major, and I had a fight to do transition, right? I was a major, right? So I mean, if I had to fight, what do these little lists have to do, right? And so two examples, first example, I was doing like the, the test stuff, whatever, and the E4 is never with us. Of course, one bad thing, like it's like E1, the colonel, and at the same time, right? They have different needs, like the one size fit all. E5 came to tell the specialist, hey, specialist, you know, he's supposed to range right now. Sergeant, I get on two weeks. That's not my problem. My job is to train you, right? So he, he had to go on range. Another another time I was in there, this colonel, full work colonel, somebody just, hey, I wish I knew how important this was because I would let my people do this more than I did, right? And so that kind of too late right now, right? And I think another challenge is too is, um, when a lot of military people get out, like we were military in bubble, right? Like everything fits done for you. Three meals a day, everything fit for you, people move stuff for you. You get out, there's no hand holding, right? So there's no one hand hold your hand. So I think people have a problem with that too. And the last thing is, and this is a theory of mine, with a lot of like people get in trouble. I have no proof of this, but I think a lot of homeless vets, people that get in trouble after the military, they were probably like problem children in the military, right? You know, discharge or bad characters discharge or captain, right? And so the military's like, get out of here as soon as you can, like just throw them on the street, so to speak, right? With no, no, no services, you know? One of the things that I've tried to do, and I encourage my staff to try and do, is get out and talk to leaders of the different services in the area. And what I can tell you is from all of those conversations that the leaders are deeply engaged and passionate about. Yeah, I about. saw when you talked to the I Corps, the First Corps commander. Yep. They're, uh, they're deeply concerned and engaged about uh, one, identifying if there's a problem and two, like what do we need to do to mitigate or fix it? In that respect, I, I feel from a collaboration standpoint, the partnerships are there. Uh, the, the solutions are in, in place. You talk about uh, veterans homelessness. Three to four years ago in King County, we had over 1,100 uh, homeless veterans. And I think in part due to a lot of the work that our community partners have done, today we're at less than 600. And so I, I think the, the things we're doing are working and I think there's still a lot of work to do. Is the homeless, is some part of this being too prideful to ask for help or get help? I think naturally when you look at service members, it's uh, uh, people, people that have served in the armed forces, asking for help is just naturally a very hard thing to do. I know I uh, struggle with asking for help. I think through building a foundation with the community, through not just going in and saying, okay, you need this, this, and this, but really building that foundation, cultivating a relationship with somebody allows for individuals to more easily ask for help. I think asking uh, for help or seeking help is definitely um, a challenge that we see for some. 
I think another challenge too, as far as like, so in the army I was AG, but it's like HR. Another challenge too in the military too, like close, I'm, I'm in the military, I'm, I'm supposed to transition. My unit would ask the big army, hey, Jason Callis leaving, can we be a replacement? No, he's still on your books until this date, right? So how does this let me go do what I gotta do? I still have a job to do, right? So it's like, I think that's one thing that they gotta fix. St still happens, I mean, I deal with that in my, in my army reserve job. Like, okay, this person, is set to rotate out on this date you'll get your replacement in six months or a year or this position's a low priority so it's not going to get backfilled you know for you know x amount of time so you know, that that is the 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 constant struggle and that that still exists today yeah i don't know how they fix that i, I don't so talk about what you do for housing in the housing realm, uh, I think the biggest thing I would want to po point to is we had this um, amazing pilot program that we launched. It was called uh, Collaborative Case Management. Uh, we had to uh, partner with the, the VA, the King County Housing Authority to launch this first in the nation pilot. And uh, what it was is taking um, bash vouchers which are housing vouchers uh, provided through HUD um, stewarded by the VA and housing people that uh, with these vouchers that otherwise uh, potentially would have would have gone unhoused so we were focusing on a, a population with the voucher that uh, traditionally hadn't been focused on uh, by the VA and uh, one of the barriers was case management like um, I think we're seeing across uh, I would say across King County but maybe even more broadly uh, across the country that uh, inflation is a very very real thing equitable wages is a very real thing and um, a lot of the people that are showing up in these case manager jobs it's hard to retain them um, and so uh, we were in a position to where uh, we were able to, as King County, provide case management for these VASH vouchers because that's one of the things that needs to be directly tied to them. And I, I want to say, I just looked at the numbers a little bit ago, but I want to say we, we got over 70 people housed in, excuse me, in this past year. And, and so it's, you know, finding spaces where we can collaborate and do things that are innovative to be re directly responsive to the things that we're seeing in community i i think you know that's the huge part uh, and then through the levy um although it's stewarded in part by another division um within uh department of community and human services there's a number of strategies and investments into housing stability related programs uh to not only keep people house, but build affordable housing for people to go into. How easy or how hard is it to build affordable housing in Seattle, King County? I'm not a subject matter expert on the capital process, but from what I can tell you is that um, we're not like, where my division's concerned and my division's investments uh, have gone into, come into play. Uh, it's not instances where we're out there doing it on our own. It is very much, you know, um, I think two, three, four different entities coming together to pull off a project and make it happen. So I have no idea this is a solution, but I've heard people say, well, 
like in a certain city, it might be like only like 40% occupancy rate apartments or maybe 20% of houses are empty converters and just the homeless people in there. Is that a solution or is it like wishful thinking? I think the opportunity is, do we have enough affordable housing stock to be directly responsive to our uh, homelessness problem? And I think there's a number of ways that we've uh, begun to try and be responsive to that. Uh, I'm gonna like reserve on like going down any particular rabbit hole on that because it's not my necessarily my subject matter expertise or purview, but like uh, just to do another plug for a program, uh, we have our health through housing program that the county is uh, running, um, buying uh, hotels and you and converting them to be able to be permanent supportive housing or permanent housing and and get people off the street in that respect. I think another challenge too is like you really can't put affordable housing like in the middle of nowhere, right? I, mean, be, I would think with the walking distance of public transportation, right? I personally think that it needs to be connected to resources. Uh, resources, I mean, when I say connected to resources, you, it needs to be accessible in, in that respect. Uh, to your point, you can't put it out there in the middle of nowhere and say, good luck. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't quite work that way. So, is there a time where like you'll you'll tell someone, hey, we're gonna kick out the resources like either because they've been doing bad stuff or wasn't respectful or like did some criminal stuff or they should be able to say, you know, like we can't help you out anymore. As we look at case management, um, there is definitely instances where uh, a person's behavior would cause us to say like, you know, we need to take a pause. But I think we try to do that sparingly. And so recognizing that when folks are walking through our program's doors, uh, speaking directly about like our veterans program, for instance, declining somebody's services or uh, preventing them from accessing the services as a result of behavior, that's like the last thing that we wanna do. Uh, recognizing that when somebody shows up to us, this is a person in crisis a lot of time. This is a person that is experiencing probably the worst moments of their life. And they're, they're having to uh, sum up the courage to come into some place and say, I need help. And that's not easy for everybody to do as we were just talking about. And so uh, recognizing that when people are presenting for help, they're in a very vulnerable state already. And, and trying to uh, meet them and acknowledge them and recognize that is our first and foremost. And like, do we come across instances where there is be bad behavior or, or uh, something that, you know, puts us in a position to, you know, say that we're not able to assist somebody? Yeah, that happens. But I would say that that, that is very uh, infrequent and is not the norm. Is there a time limit for people to be on your services? Or is it like, I think on there as long as they want to? Uh, no time limit to be on our service. Um, they can come and go as, as they please in that respect. Um, we do have um, caps on services in, in terms of like, from a monetary standpoint, like you can only receive X amount of financial type assistance. And that's in part just to do, due to wanting to make sure that we can spread the resources to uh, more people 
And even with that, I would say, depending on individual circumstances, uh, the managers have the flexibility to make exceptions to the policy if the situation warrants it. Uh, and that, yeah. So, Leon, y'all work with a lot of nonprofits too, right? Absolutely. So, here's a question for you. Like, so I don't know the military, the veteran side, I'll make this number up. There's like, like 20,000 million nonprofits of veterans, right? Some, some good, some not so good. If someone's out there and they want to like donate to a nonprofit with the money or time and resources, how do you recommend they make sure that that nonprofit's going to actually like, you know, use the money wisely and not, you know, take advantage of them? That's a good question. Um, I don't uh, necessarily have a, an answer for that. I would uh, personally, I would just encourage people to do their research on the organization, look at the Better Business Bureau, but that's not a, a space that we have shown up in is in that of like uh, regulating or authenticating of nonprofits in that respect. Next, let's talk about domestic violence and how you, you're helping to solve that. So I have an amazing team of um, staff that partner with uh, a number of organizations to provide services in that respect. Um, so uh, one of the things that we've done is partnered and funded the Regional Domestic Violence Hotline um, for people that are in need of help, someplace that they can call and get that assistance. Uh, we have uh, mobile advocacy programs where uh, there's people that are going out and traveling to different locations to meet people where there are to provide assistance. And so um, in that respect, there's like so much in terms of, um, I would say us as the county working with our partners to understand what the needs are, whether it be policy, whether it be uh, financial and trying to show up in that space to be responsive, to enable really our nonprofit partners to get out there and do the invaluable work uh, that they have been doing and continue to do. Well, what you've seen is, is like for domestic bosses, like like one main factor that causes a lot of them, but like different factors across the board, each situation is different or? I won't even uh, begin to try and talk about um, why or how or anything in, in that respect, um, short of just saying that uh, it's a terrible thing when it happens. And I think we have a responsibility to ensure that when people need help, that there's some place for them to go to get that help. And um, I feel humbled by being able to share the space uh, with uh, leaders and people that can be far more eloquent in this space than I am right now to talk about what is needed and what they've done um, to be responsive to the needs of the community. What are your goals for the organization moving forward? Right now, we're going through a period of time to gain feedback and learn uh, how the Veteran Seniors and Human Services Levy has performed. Where, where did we get it right? Where did we have opportunities to change and um, or do something different and what are the gaps out there that we're still missing that we need to be responsive to this levy expires at the end of 2023 and so right now it is you know with our elected leaders to decide if they're going to put it back on the ballot which i have no indication to say that they're not 
and um, for us to you know work to make sure that the next iteration of the levy is better than this one that means we need to you know do some deep work with community we need to understand what do we need to sustain and make bigger i think um, the other just very true thing is is that we ran a nonprofit wage survey and we know that it's harder to hire and retain people it is harder to pay equitable wages the value of the dollar does not go as far as it once did and so uh, recognizing all of those things i think you know a reality for us is that we might be in a situation where we're investing more into a particular thing and receiving less uh, we need to focus on quality not quantity and so for me it is partnering with not only the all of our staff and experts that are in these spaces every day but with community partners to understand like where those areas are so that we can ensure that the plan we are putting forth and executing is in alignment with community and not uh, apart from it so Leon, what mechanisms do you have to get in place to get feedback from your customers um we do a number of things so uh, we do surveys uh, we have done um focus groups, we've done uh, community conversations, we're still doing community conversations where uh, we're showing up online as well as uh, traveling to different parts of the county and showing up in person to have that conversation and get that feedback. And so we've been doing that for the past several months and we're gonna be doing that for I think about a month more um, to make sure that we are affording maximum opportunity for not only our partners, but the community to provide us with feedback. So Leon, are you able to show some kind of way that, you know, like from this date, something increased this much, something decreased that much, like any kind of metrics or anything that shows something's improving or not improving? Yeah, so every year we publish an annual report, which we have a performance measurement and evaluation team that um, looks at data across the spectrum and they they work very hard to uh, share as much as we can those things to tell that story uh, we also have a, a focus on not only just giving the numbers but then also i think what's for me even more meaningful is not the the number but what is the story behind the number? Yeah, like, that's, that's what it, so important, yeah. Numbers are just numbers, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's that story that is the thing that, you know, moves you and that, like, lets you know what you're doing. And it's like hearing a story about getting somebody that was uh, living in their car with two kids housed. That is, like, the impactful thing. And that, to me, is far more meaningful than saying, two people served in, in this strategy, but being able to hear like those stories. And so we have we have an interest of like, uh, wherever possible, trying to also not only share the numbers that we have and provide like what it is that the strategy or program is doing, but telling those stories when we get a chance. How do you share these stories when stuff goes good? Do you have like a public relations department does that for you or someone else can uh, share of it? It's, so we share them in our annual report. And then, you know, if I know about it and I'm showing up in a space, I have on occasion, I will, you know, throw out a story or two that I've heard, like I just did, 
but where those most frequently show up is uh, either in our annual report or we have a blog that people can subscribe to and um, through our department and uh, occasionally we'll we'll publish stories in there as, as well so we are doing a king county does like every other county have this like every city has this going on or is this like a, is this unique to seattle i think this is unique to king county i don't personally know of another uh, levy like this anywhere else but um so i would like to say it's unique to king county as far as i know what do you say to people like you said like living in 2023 i'm sure people 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 that don't know we don't need to levy again it's a waste of money you know this needs done a different kind of way what would your your answer then be well uh so as a king county employee i'm actually not allowed uh or authorized to like advocate for or against the levy i can just speak factually about the levy in that regard okay uh but what i would say overarching is i encourage people that uh, do not know about the levy to find out more i think it offers a lot of invaluable uh, resources to the, the community and uh in the absence of knowing what the levy does or what resources it provides i would strongly encourage folks to check it out can you talk about the impact if the levy does not get renewed community if the levy does not get renewed uh i think it's safe to assume that there'd be a number of programs that are providing indispensable resources to the community today that would be forced to either uh, shut their doors or cease providing certain programs to the community yes so next talk about civil legal work what is what is that our civil legal aid work uh does a number of things i think the thing that i would just focus on is two spaces for our veterans we have um, contracted civil legal aid work that helps with like benefits access sometimes unfortunately transitioning service members uh, don't get all of the uh, benefits or resources that uh, they're entitled to and so we have a group that works through our veterans programs that assist in that space um, to help people get those entitlements. Uh, we also have civil legal aid work that focuses on like eviction prevention um, to help try and keep people housed. Um, it's unfortunate when um, you need to get an attorney involved when you know somebody's trying to evict you. Uh, but recognizing that everybody has equitable access to get that attorney or to know what their rights are in order to mitigate being put out on the street. And so we also uh, fund in that space. There's a number of other things, but so I don't want to sell it short by any means, but those are like the two big things that I would throw out. How many people work in your department? In my division, I have right now, I have just under 60 people. A third of those work in um, my direct service program, which is our King County Veterans Program, which is based out of Tukwila in Northgate, Seattle. Yeah, so all these people, like, I was not all the movie reports, but how do you make sure, like, your direct reports on these 60 people get professionally developed and get career progression like they, like they, like they deserve? That's something that I uh, 
being fairly new in the job, but still, <laughs> um, still, um, I previously I served as the deputy uh, division director. Uh, that's an area I need to focus in on. I, I think you know uh, our staff, our people, are the ones that are carrying the heavy load and doing all of the things. And so it's been a constant conversation of like, how do we provide more structured professional development in that regard? Uh, how do we look at when we're hiring for positions, people with lived experience, um, whether it's, you know, hiring somebody that is a veteran like myself or somebody that has been homeless, recognizing that the lens in which they see the work through uh, it could be different in, in that respect. And so it's a definitely uh, an evolving thing that we constantly have to look at and evaluate, but uh, we have to do that in partnership with staff to make sure that the things that we're coming up with are the things that they need. And when you hire people, what kind of character, characteristics are you looking for for the people you hire? I think a team player, somebody that's going to lean forward and be proactive versus uh, reactive, somebody that is passionate about helping people. Like I said earlier, the, the core of what we do is helping people and that excites me and I think when you have the work like human services, that's something that you need to be passionate about. So. Uh, helping people, a commitment to serve the community, somebody that's going to be proactive, uh, somebody that's, you know, engaging in that respect. Uh, these are all, I think, key traits and things that I look for in people. So, Liam, what, what's your perspective on the future of King County? Are you, are you like bonus line? Are you, are you like a positive outlook, negative, or is this to be seen? Oh, I think there's a positive outlook on King County. I think as a county, we're moving in the right direction. Um, I'm very excited for uh, where we're going um, in the uh, my division and um, how we're showing up and partnering with community. And I look forward to uh, continuing to partner and collaborate with community and partners to be uh, responsive to their needs. So I deeply love and care about the job that I'm in. And that's probably why I work so many hours. <laughs> and you know what they say, it's like when 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 you love your job, it's, it's not really work. And um, I, I'm in the unique opportunity to have that privilege. So Leon, I'll make this number up, but, but like, let's hope tomorrow you have 100 things to do, right? Priority one to 100. What do you do to make sure you walk in priorities one, two, and three versus going to number 77? I'd say first and foremost, I have a, a strong team. Um, I can't do it by myself and I have an amazing people, uh, amazing group of people that work with me um, that help carry the load. Uh, and so not all hundred things um, I need to do myself. And so it's recognizing what is like my responsibility versus what is you know, something somebody else on the team can can carry. Leon, how do you take care of yourself? I take care of myself, but you know, I would say as much as possible, uh, trying to do like work-life balance, finding the things I enjoy that, you know, help level set me, uh, whether that's, you know, listening to music or going for a drive or spending time with the family, 
things of that nature. But it's the the balance of being able to break up the things in my life in, in that respect. And how do you do your schedule? Like, do you work like, you know, nine or five minutes a Friday, take weeks off? You work 10 hours a day, seven days a week? Like, how, how do you do that? I think it fluctuates, frankly. I think it just depends on what's going on in the given week, given day. I do what is needed to be done for the for the job. And so if that's, you know, one day I need to put in more hours, uh, then, you know, that's what I'll do. And um, I think I have the privilege of working uh, for amazing people that grant me the flexibility and encourage me to take time off when I need to. And so it's through those environments where your leadership encourages you to, to take a day off and to uh, you know have that work-life balance that's refreshing versus the atmosphere of like, am I gonna be looked at some sort of way because I'm taking a day or I'm taking a half a day or, and it's not, uh, my experience with the county is, is it hasn't been that at all. It's been very friendly to, in that respect. And you've been a job a year, right? I've been with the county for just over three three years, uh, three and a half years now, and in this job for coming up on a year. So if you go back when you started, is this something you would like to focus on more after, after you've been in the job for a year? Oh, that's like a really weird question for me. And the reason I say that is because we had a pandemic and nobody thought we would have a pandemic. And so like I had the privilege and opportunity to step outside of my day-to-day -day job and um, do other things to support the county's uh, pandemic response in that respect. The thing that I would change is, um, and I am changing, is the focus on staff, the focus on the people within the organization that are carrying the load in that regard. Uh, and recognizing that and um, trying to be more intentional about some of the things that you uh, asked earlier around, you know, professional development and things of that nature. I think that's where we have a real opportunity to uh, move the needle. Another question for you. Suppose you're hiring someone for whatever position. How would you convince them to come work for your organization? Like, why should they come work, work for your division? I think what I would say to somebody is like, do you want to change the lives of, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people? That's pretty big right there. I mean. Don't get that many jobs. Right? And I mean, it's the, <laughs> you're going to get people fed, housed, employed, like actually changing the lives. Because they use someone from this income status, this income status. Yeah saving lives, changing lives. There's not many jobs that you can take out there where you can uh, have that either direct or indirect impact and being able to say that, you know, hey, you are a part of that or you're a part of something along those lines. It sells itself in that respect. Yeah, it does. Since you've been in, in a job, is there like a challenge or roadblock that if you have a power, you just, you just get, get rid of it? I mean, if money were infinite, <laughs> right? Yeah. If, if money were infinite and enduring, and we could just say, okay, we're gonna find 
all of these programs at whatever the level was needed at forever until we, you know, solve for, fix whatever the, the problem, pick your problem in that respect. I think that's part of the challenge. We have a, a finite amount of resources that are uh, there to talk, tackle a lot of uh, complex problems. Unfortunately, sometimes it puts us in a position of prioritization and picking and choosing, you know, um, the haves and the have nots in that respect. And that's a challenging thing to do. Uh, but perfect solution is, uh, you know, blank check and, you know, tell me the money's going to keep going and do whatever you want. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Y'all, y'all provide like a like what's called a counseling services fee, also. We absolutely do. Through our King County Veterans Program, we provide uh, mental health counseling free of charge, PTSD counseling. And we contract that work out to through two different organizations, Headstrong and uh, the Washington Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, who have a number of mental health professionals on staff that we contract for the services and refer out to. Is there anything else to ask you that I haven't asked you yet or anything else you want to talk about? No, I, I really appreciate the time to, to be here. Uh, I think, you know, for any veterans that are watching that live in King County, um, just to know that there's a lot of resources available through our King County Veterans Program, their job there is to help. So if you need help or need something, like, don't hesitate to reach out to us. That's what we're here for. So, you know, like, your King County, of course, Fort Lewis records in Pierce County. I think the Bremerton, I don't know if that's King County or not, yet it would be Island. Do y'all would like send people to those places too? We haven't as much uh, because we focus on residents of King County, but there's people that work on the bases that reside in King County and then go to there. So uh, we do engagement with the, the leadership of the various installations to try and get the word out about what we're doing and something we're going to, we're actually in conversations about internally right now is how can we begin to like show up in those spaces, especially for people that are getting out of the military and saying, oh, I'm gonna, I, I live wherever, I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna move to someplace in King County, uh, making sure that our veterans program is a known commodity and if they need something they they know where they can go for help earlier you said like the homeless better homeless like 1100 600 how do you know like there's a certain like 10 percent king county's veterans or how do those numbers come from there's a robust system around uh, veterans homelessness within um, king county so we actually maintain something in partnership with the King County Regional Homeless Authority. It's uh, the veteran by name list. And so on that by name list, uh, work is done to identify any homeless veteran and their name gets added to that list and we work to get them housed. And so if they go in for help somewhere, uh, even if it's not housing help and they identify as homeless, uh, we work to get them added to this list across a lot of our nonprofit partners in order to track them and then try and get them housing resources to get them housed. And do King County numbers, are they comparable to other counties or higher or lower? What is the way to compare that? Um, I don't know the number or correlation uh, for how we are as compared to other like counties in that regard. But what I will say is that 
seeing the decrease that we've seen this far tells me that um, with the support of our partners and all the work that's being done, not only by the government, but our nonprofit partners and uh, private investors uh, in the space, has it, it's working and we need to continue to focus on it. So what makes someone not homeless? Like, close off homeless, I'm sleeping in the street. If I'm like, if I go to a car, does it doesn't mean I'm not homeless? Do I go to a homeless shelter, I'm not homeless? Or do I actually have to go to like a, an apartment or a house in order not to be homeless? So there is a HUD definition of homelessness and I don't know what that is off the top of my head right now. I can get that for you. For me, I would say our focus is to get people permanently housed. Uh, that's not living in a car, that's not couch surfing, That that's in a in a, an apartment or a place that you are like, this is my home. And I'd say that's the goal. So regardless of like whatever government or non-government definition you want to throw on a thing, I would say uh, getting it to a place where somebody's, you know, has, you know, a bathroom, a sink, all the things in that respect to be able to live in a place comfortably and call that home. So we were talking about what you do to take care of yourself and all that kind of stuff, or what you do for fun. Like, what's your own personal career goals? Like, what do you see yourself going on? Like, you want to be like, you want to like take this King County model to the state of Washington? Or like, what do you see with that? Who knows what the future holds? I know for me that in whatever I ultimately do or end up, um, I wanted to be in a place of service. Most of my life has been dedicated to positions of service, whether it be in the military or on, on the civilian side. And that's something that um, rings true for me and that's where I find personal value and um, that's what I want to keep doing. So why is being a service important to you? A lot of people out there, they're up there for them, them, take advantage of people. Why are there people like you, luckily that got all service and want to help others out? Just your human nature, the way you are? I think it's just, you know, who it is. My mom was a social worker growing up and that always resonated with me. And not everybody has an equal shot in you know, what I can do to help out in that respect. I think it's good and valuable and some people need help and shouldn't be ashamed about asking for help. And if I can be somebody that can help with that. That's something I want to do. What was the same people say, well, you know, just put yourself up by like bootstraps. Well, if you boost on no bootstraps, you know, what can you do, right? No, it's, it, it, it's so very, very true. And I think the stigma that needs to be changed, especially for service members, is that it's okay to ask for help. Uh, and um, there's people out there that are there to help you. I care about helping people. Um, if I ever needed help, I'd want somebody to be there for me. And so I figured the least I could do is try and be there for them. Leon, can you share social media for yourself and your division so people can reach out to you? Yeah, uh, so social media, uh, I'm just on LinkedIn right now. So it's Leon Richardson. And if you put like Leon Richardson, King County, I'm the only one that'll pop up in that respect. Uh, so you can, you can Google that. Uh, and 
my my team tells me I need to get like an Instagram and some other things going uh, because I don't have an Instagram or a Twitter or any of the other things, but I, I, I got a, a LinkedIn. So the other things come in soon, but uh, LinkedIn is the best way to reach out to me and get a hold of me. Or you can send me an email, uh, which is lrichardson at kingcounty.gov. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna work on it. We're gonna we're gonna definitely make sure that uh, it's better. So more videos to come, more pictures, more stories. That's the focus. Uh, start sharing and and um, getting out there a little bit more. Here's a question for you: Like, both someone like you know went from like low life, not a low, but like I had a message and they improved. I'm guess you have to get their permission to tell the story. Absolutely. Okay. We have to get their permission. They have to sign off on us being able to tell the story. That is something that, you know, my team also works with engaging to say like, hey, you have an amazing story. Can we can we share that? So, and we do a lot of things um, depending on the individual or family to protect their privacy to the level which they would like it to be protected. And that's, you know, using other names, using other pictures or things in that respect. Can you tell us another story and you have to don't use the name all too like someone like you like like was very always inspired you like you know they were, they were like this this level and now they're doing great things through your program. Like this an all inspiring story like you want people to know about. When you said that the uh, thing that popped in immediately into my mind, it was I wanna say it was a Friday night, uh, our office doors were just getting ready to close. Somebody was dropped off to us, uh, that had uh, just been just discharged from a hospital. They were a uh, double amputee in a wheelchair. Uh, wheelchair didn't work. Uh, they had no place to go. Wow. And that's heartbreaking. You know, the, the team, they didn't miss a beat. They, the clock was irrelevant. Um, the fact that they were already past shift was you know, irrelevant. Every, everybody was working to try and like figure out where to send the person, what what resources were available, what what to do. And, um, you know, we ended up putting the person in the hotel for a period of time until we could get them connected to the resources that they needed. But that's one of many, many stories of like, our team or other teams stepping up in like spaces to do work like that. I'll, I'll tell you, there's, there's probably thousands of stories like this. You know, if you're, you're talking about something for motivation, like just go grab a case manager and, and, and spend 15, 20 minutes with them and like you'll, you'll walk away inspired. I know I asked you earlier, like what categories you look for? How to manage a characteristic you cannot have, you can't have the nine to five characteristic working for y'all. I, I have to manage, like, you have to be like, you know, not on 24 seven, but you gotta like you say, stuff happens, you gotta be have the flexibility, hey, I need to take care of these people, even if it's after five o'clock or before nine o'clock. And on the weekends, I would think. It's definite, for us, it's a nine to five job. Um, and I would say it's the unique thing when you have a whole bunch of people that are on the team that care about helping people. Although it's, like not a requirement, but I would say that I've never seen or heard of time being the barrier to like helping people uh, in that respect. So it's not something we necessarily like look for, like in terms of 
when we're putting out a job posting saying be responsive 24 7 that's like that's not a part of the job but when we get to see it happen um yeah, it's, it's organic so it's even better yeah so how do you do this how do you make sure like i'm sure people see a lot of stuff right some good some bad you know how do you make sure they don't get burned out they don't get a toll ticket on them and how do you make sure you know they get their counseling or whatever they need to so the county does a really good job at like doing like different wellness programs and making those available to uh, staff as well as uh, allowing them to uh, create new ideas and uh, and then potentially get a wellness program awarded to them and then what you're describing or asking i rely on my uh, managers a lot to manage their teams and to make sure that you know it's a balance and, and that we are not burning people out and so um, that just goes back to the earlier conversation we were having around what are the things that we need to do to support staff to make sure that you know that balance exists that the training exists all, all of the things in that regard and and that's something that you know i'm personally trying to focus on and I, i'm sure this has never happened but what do y'all do to make sure like your your staff is safe right you know like someone doesn't come in and like do something wrong or don't know yeah uh, we have a number of uh, safety precautions and things that we do uh, with our direct service staff we're uh, by and large in like secure facilities and things of that nature and uh, we don't do anything really alone um, we're always working in teams so you ever go like the like the, where the people at like in the homeless camps or like their houses or anything like that that's all done at your um right now we are um, um for our veterans program we are office based in, in that of like people come to us or show up virtually and then we do events where we will like go out to other partnered facilities or job fairs or events of that nature in that respect to share the resources that we have available or make connections in that in that respect but uh we're not like doing for our program we're not doing like in-home case management okay. where we're showing up to somebody's house and sitting down on the couch talking to them that that's not um the way our program is uh currently designed leon can you give us any advice on any stuff you want to talk about i would also just throw a plug out there that Right now we're doing uh, community conversations uh, for the Veteran Seniors and Human Services Levy. So uh, as it pertains to that, like one of the things that we're looking at is, is there a need in the community that is, uh, that people feel that, you know, the government or really nobody's being responsive to and somebody needs to be responsive to? like. Give, give us that feedback uh, we want to know um, one, like I was saying earlier one of the things that we pride ourselves on is filling the gaps uh, recognizing that we're you know we're in this large system between local government state and federal and where there's like programs or maybe a program is only at one particular level but the need is vast beyond that or maybe there's a state program and a federal program that um, work together but then there's a gap in between there of where people potentially aren't eligible or don't qualify or whatever the thing may be in order to receive services or the help that they need what are those spaces and we we like to you know hear that and 
figure out if that's a place that, you know, our division within King County uh, can be responsive to, to, to help our community. Selling off a levy, is a levy, does it get approved by the voters or is it like, like city council approves or disapproves it or is this a voter thing? It's a voter approved thing, yeah. It's been around for, I wanna say 2005 is when it first passed. This is the, it's in its third iteration now. Um, and so assuming um, our elected leaders put it back on the ballot uh, after. And, uh, and does King County City Council put it back on the ballot or someone else does? Uh, King County Council, as well as uh, the King County Executive would make the decision to put it on the ballot. Okay. Leon, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day. You know, pump it up. You've got to pump it up.